should we start by talking about umbrellas? I'm not a fan of the umbrella. Although I actually kind of want one. I know I'm not saying I'm not, I know I'm saying I'm not a fan, but actually there's something to I don't know how it looks, but I like the idea of the coverage of rain and then you're not having to wear a jacket. Are you a person who does not want to be I am a, a person. You are a person who does not want to be an umbrella person, but you like umbrellas. I like the concept of the umbrella. I like the idea of like having I I remember moments of sheltering under an umbrella that my mum might have held. Something warm and dry about an umbrella. You know what I think is different than uh, than the actual rain jacket? The rain jacket is the water is actually hitting you. Now, it's not hitting your skin, but there's something about water hitting you. And there's also the potential for the rain jacket to have water go in the hood, down the, down the neck. Right. You could still get wet. It feels a wetter option, but it's obviously easier because when it's then it stopped raining, you don't have to do something. You have to carry something, still wearing the jacket. Whereas an umbrella, I think it keeps you dry as long as there's not a windy rain. But you do then right. have to carry this thing around. I use it when I do exams on the course. To keep the paper dry. Bob Ryan taught me that. And I said, Bob, you look like you look so old walking around the course with an umbrella. I feel like I've seen like the ones that extend, like the little ones that are very small. And then you push them and they get... Those are kind of cool. All right, well, maybe I'll get an umbrella. Stay tuned, everyone. Does Phil get an umbrella? I'll let you know. I'll let you know in the next episode. And I could make sure it's not part of the episode by dropping some inappropriate language right now. It's a good thing I trust you. Yeah, but then I'll just delete that. No, but then I'll just take that part out. I'm totally using this part. (laughs) I'm totally using, did we just spend five minutes talking about whether or not an umbrella is good? The umbrella term on this episode will be how we introduce activities, the way that we maybe frame activities for our participants. The first statement that we made around activities is we don't need to tell our participants what the name of the activity or element is. And as a matter of fact, it can often be helpful to leave these things nameless. So what's your thoughts on activity names, Lisa? Um, this is something that you've really helped me think about in the last few years, Phil. And I I think I'm in the habit of naming things because I spend more time training others how to do things than I do in using those tools in facilitation. So I do feel like there's value in when I'm doing an activity review at the end of the day, for example, saying when we're trying to remember that game that we did with the rubber chicken and the boundary rope, oh, I call that one steal the chicken and you can find it in this book. So I think there's value in that so folks can know where our reference is. But a lot of times, especially in some of the elements, there's a name associated with that, like a trust fall or a trust run that can imply something that we don't need for it to imply and it can cause people to feel a certain way. Yeah, I agree. I think that I see the point of the names for a pure writing in of agenda or a logging of like, this is the ones I'm going to use or for teaching tools. Like this is, we're going to go over and use this one. 
because it prevents people from being able to say we're going to go over to the wobbly plank or something like or the cabled walk or but the, but the other part is i do think that I think there's no copywritten name on something. There's no something like this right. has to be named this way. And because I've gone to plenty of sites who have renamed um, elements over based on the, the name. I'll give a classic example. Um, the Pamper Pole. Lots of people don't like naming the name, so they change it to Leap of Faith or I've seen places called it the Power Pole. Or, and that ultimately doesn't matter. But I also think I don't really, I can't see a point the critical thing is I can't see a point to why you would need to call them the names to your participants. I it doesn't, it doesn't matter to them, right? Like it's an adventurous experience. Like let's go and do this new thing. Like we don't need to say we're going to do the spider's web because I think that they would look at it and see a spider's web. But I think that there's the name sometimes leads us down this path. Like you said, with a trustful thing that they just assume too much and we, and, the, and therefore they do X, Y, and Z because of it. And I think that impacts their their ability to do the activity. And I'd rather it not be the case. I'd rather them do an activity and actually kind of create something new just by the way they're doing it. And it makes it more exciting for me just because I didn't call it anything. And actually use the activity slightly differently too. I've seen some elements used differently based on the fact that I never even said anything. Oh, that's so fascinating. Can you give an example of that? I think that would be really helpful to sort of hear. Yeah, I think something like the nitro swing or any swinging activity, without the framing of what the point of the activity is or like the name that goes associated with it, I think that people just are going to start swinging on things and start doing stuff. When you do an activity and you use, and you mention a name, I think that because it inserts so much information, I think you narrow it down. You know what? It would be an ex- like another example. Istvan Barnier was the author of the book Zoom. That. I think this that activity, where so we, the way we use that book is that it's a zooming in information. You could never call that activity Zoom. You could never say I'm about to do Zoom, because if you said that, it completely gives the answer of what the point of the activity is. So you would do whatever you could to try to like not mention that word. And I actually think that is an example of uh, it could be applied to all activities that by saying the name. You create the answer to maybe the problem, you solve the problem for them, or maybe you give too much information just through the name. And by not giving it, it allows for that greater mystery and allowing for people to be creative with stuff. Yeah. And then I think about our own example at High Five of renaming the Mohawk Ironworkers Walk. And it makes me think, wait a second, naming something is really important. So I guess it's almost like a cycle, like if Mm. we're going to call something and tell people all about it, then I think we need to be comfortable and confident about why we call it that. But even when we do that, we don't need to name that when we're facilitating others because that name can become distracting. So if you brought your fifth graders mm-hmm. over to the Mohawk Ironworkers Walk and they were like, Mohawk iron, is this made of iron? Like it could be either provocative, interesting conversation or it could become distracting. Or in the example of Zoom, when that's like giving away a, a part of a solution, I really get stuck on these things that have the word trust in them. And then I think the other piece just that we could all do well with the reconsidering is when they have the word blindfold or blind. You know, like how would it feel if you were like truly a blind participant and then you're hearing the facilitator make it sound like being blind is like, this fun recreational option that you get to do for a minute in your program. It, you know what I mean? I think that's that gets tricky too. We could go off on another tangent. I think that we can get rid of all the activities that involve blinding. 
people bring it up as like a way to make things harder. Like take away someone's voice or take away someone's sight. I'm go- I, I'm at the stage where I'm like, I don't know why you would do that. Like I know that like, because it's the argument of like, well, if someone has has done an activity before, just take away their voice and then they can't contribute. But that's not a reality to, if we're trying to replicate reality, if someone knows something more than someone else or could someone could help with the answer, they're not going to withhold the information. Right. You're actually going to give it and it would be actually useful. And I think that people do people do that is because they don't have maybe a backup plan to an activity or they're worried it's going to la- it's not going to last the length of time they wrote down in their agenda and they're like, oh, I have to make this last. Right. Whereas if they have the answer, let them solve it and then be like, okay, what did we learn? Move on, new activity. Yeah, that's interesting with the name thing, as you suggested, even with the Mohawk Ironworkers, is that in those in that case, the name is is honoring something of the past right. and is more it's less about the why something is the solution to a problem or something, or an arbitrary name that actually doesn't matter, but it's actually a name that holds value. In that case, it feels different. Right? Like I, right. I think I would be more inclined to mention, it's the same with Ubuntu. I use the word, I'm okay, we're going to be using Ubuntu. Well, I could just say these are decks of cards, but I think that there's the word itself has meaning, both the origin of the name, but also it truly applies to what the point of the cards are about connection and community. So I think that that's tied in differently. And me saying we're going to do Ubuntu activities doesn't reveal the solution to an activity right. or doesn't imply something because in a negative way. Mm-hmm. So I think it's in, in those cases, I can see it as even, even being different. I also worry to an extent though, sometimes that the names I brought out a length. I was recently at a training and I brought out a length of webbing and I tied it into a circle and someone said, Oh, raccoon circles. Because they see circles of webbing and they call them rem- raccoon circles. Right. And I was like, oh no, I'm just going to put it on the ground. I'm not using it in a raccoon circle activity. But they hadn't considered that it were a- they're a list of activities, which are activities created by Jim Kane and Tom Smith. Then their activities using a length of webbing. But when you tie webbing into a circle, it doesn't transform itself into a raccoon circle. That's not. And I think that that was the mis disconnect a little bit because the name then gets associated or to all parts and it's like no that's not what i'm using them for right now i see it as two ways names of activities are helpful for practitioners when they're writing agendas and cataloging what they're doing and for a training purpose to say this is what we just did and i can say those i just i would never use names realistically other than a couple that i've already referenced with my participants i will say though i do say if we're going to do war master, this is called war master because I like to say that I'm a master of war. So that, you know, I've, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, there are, this is getting very, very specific, but there are some activities where like the task is in the activity where we don't want it like zoo or where you do want it like perfect square. What do participants really need to know before they do an activity? And I think one thing that we're asking people to question that we're questioning ourselves is, the name of the activity and then another subtangent is do they need to know how you feel about the activity should they know that you love this game it's not really one of your favorites or they're gonna love it it's gonna be so fun i would link you to romy alexandra's episode on psychological safe learning environments the notion that she was bringing up was this evaluative language like how do we right. use evaluative words in stuff that we're just saying because then it, that 
puts pressure on our individuals to feel a certain way based on the way we feel. I even meant, I even did it yesterday when uh, I was running a training. I said, this is my favorite activity. And then I even stopped it, said at some point, like, it doesn't have to be your favorite. I'd added that and I'm trying to be more conscious of it. But absolutely, when we when we add this evaluative language around an activity and lead in and say, and this is such a fun one, what happens if it's not fun or the person doesn't find it fun? Just let the activity speak for itself rather than you speaking for the activity to frame it at the start. I certainly think that's applicable. One quick little thing, the activity mass pass. I honestly thought for a longest time that it was masses in Massachusetts. <laughs> and I kept thinking to myself, is this an American thing? Is there a is there a reference that I'm not getting? Is there a is there something else called the Massachusetts pass that I am like not understanding the reference to? And then I only only when I was playing it for a while did I realize, no, you're passing a mass of stuff, right? I mean, it's definitely not Massachusetts, and I'm sorry that I gave vote like that. No, it's a funny thing. It's like, but this is the problem with names, right? Like, I that name doesn't make much never made much sense to me. And the problem I have anyway is that that I don't pronounce those words. Like, I would say mass, and then I'd say pass, which actually doesn't kind of like make sense. It's not rhyme. It doesn't have the rhyme of mass pass. I think I'm going to start calling it anyway, the Massachusetts pass and then say, and then make up some story. This was developed in Massachusetts. And like, there are some games where the name of it actually does cause confusion. Like you're saying that about mass pass. I did key punch within the last year and somebody was like, but Lisa, where, where's the key? Where are the keys that we're supposed to touch? Like somebody was actually looking for like a computer pad with, with Mm -hmm. things to push. And I think that's one of those things where we can ask ourselves, like, I know exactly what I'm talking about. Why am I making other people understand it? It's kind of like bully commands and stuff, like how we've gotten away from some of those. We still do the commands, but we're not introducing new vocabulary right before a person's about to go and experience that risk. Mm-hmm. It can create confusion. Like, I don't see the keys. I see numbers on the on the ground. I don't see keys. I think about that actually, how many times, I think this probably is every single time, how many times when you introduce the whale watch, does someone ask why is it called that or you have to explain it? Every time. It's like the story of like, oh, you go, you have to go, you go on a boat to watch whales and if it's over this side, everyone goes, look, it's over that side and it tips mm-hmm. and then you, really it's just a teeter-totter or, I don't know, it doesn't, it doesn't need to be, we don't need to call it that name just because, I don't know what the names are, I, I think the names obviously were because they were writing it in a book. And they needed to come up with a name for something. Well, I think, especially with low elements, when we can disassociate the name of the element with the task, I think that reinforces people learning, especially if you're in a training environment, that the way that the facilitator chose to run that is not the same as the standard operating procedure in its bare bones form. Like you can run a great whale watch and never have anything about an actual whale watch in your experience, right? And you can run a great great chest fall no you can't run you can't you can't well i was gonna say by putting your coffee cup on it (laughs) and just leaving it there for the day that's how i run the trust fall platform well how i use those trust fall platforms is i just pretend they're a little tiny seat platform for me to sit i gather gather around everyone and i I do a little hop (laughs) so i then sit on it
the other statement that we have that I think is related to this is dividing activities into types. Trust, communication, problem solving, etc., is of little value. I wrote that, and I think I think about the episode before last, Phil, where it was you, and you inserted some stuff that Jim had shared earlier, where you had reminded me and our audience that sometimes when you're a beginner, having some frameworks is really important. And then as you get more experience, some of those frameworks can fall away. So I would amend what I wrote for our conference, which is to say, all the time using activities in a category, I think can be constricting to one's own creativity. But when a person is a beginner and they're trying to put together a day that goes, follows sort of along some stages of group development or what have you, it can be good to be like, okay, I need some convening activities and then I want to make sure we do problem solving. So if you're, if you're, you know, if that makes sense to you, great. So don't stop doing that. Where I find the little value language is that if, if I use, and we talked about Massachusetts past, let's use that as an example. <laughs> 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 I want to come up with a story that back in the day in Massachusetts, there was a rule that the items had to touch every person's hands before they entered a bucket. But if I have mass pass on my list as a, as a problem solving activity, then I'm, I'm missing out in the opportunity to make that as a convening activity or a communication activity, which goes into then the skills around framing and tinkering that we've really enjoyed playing with so much. So, if categories are helping you as a practitioner design and plan, great. As long as we're understanding that an activity in and of itself is just a skeleton. How you frame it, how you debrief it, what the rules that you choose to include or take out, make it meet your objectives. Any activity can be any of those things, right? can fit into any of those categories once you get a little bit more skilled at the framing part. And so I can make something else a communication activity or a problem solving activity and, or I can just not have those things. And actually, to be honest, most of the time, the activity is going to create an experience that then you reflect on that might not be the things that you thought they would be. And that's, that's that point of reading the, the situation or the group that comes later, that kind of skill, that ability to be able to do that. And at the early stage, yeah, it's nice to have these buckets. I remember when I worked at um, outdoor education, we had a list of activities and they were exactly categorized by that. Like these are your trust activities. And I wouldn't touch any trust activities if I wasn't doing a trust thing, mm -hmm. even if those activities were like good activities that I'd like thing to do, because I just didn't think that's not what the aim was. And you were trying to center around the goals of a group coming in. Okay. This group is trying to work on these things. Therefore I'll use these activities. And so I think that the, the activities just become one hit wonders and limited to only one thing. You just don't even think of them in any other way, which can be detrimental to the activity. And it's not fair on the activities as well. Like you don't use something just because, oh, it's only going to be used for this purpose. So wait until you get to that group who needs this one thing. And now I finally get to use that activity. I actually think like all activities could be listed as connection activities. So they, you know, do anything. They're all connecting yeah, each other, right? Like everyone's doing something together. Some of the best problem solving ones lead to the greatest connections that people have. Oh, Phil. Am I frozen? I've just paused your upload so your quality will improve. Is that all it takes to improve my quality? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm blown.
if we're doing a, a faci- we're co-leading something together like i feel like i'm not at my my best facilitating i'm just going to say hey lisa quickly pause my upload <laughs> i need my quality to improve i think the thing about these categories is that it's uh, i totally acknowledge that some activities lend themselves naturally to some type of skill like today it i'm doing it i'm i'm on the road doing a the technical skills thing and right after lunch we played a game of Ubuntu cards that we you and I know is called secret card it's like a like a 20 questions kind of thing and and at the end of the game one of my participants said this seems like it would be a great communication activity is that do you use it for communication and I said well did you have to communicate in doing the activity he said yes there's all these different levers that we have as facilitators like I could we could I could have framed it and have a, a conversation about communication and all that stuff and that wasn't my purpose so I was just wanted to teach them an activity before we went back outside I, I think those categories began partly for a new person to categorize but also because certain activities by design were emphasizing a certain piece right mm-hmm. like there was the thought if you're if you've got a blindfold on it, which again, you and I are coming from that same place of minimizing that type of activity, but that automatically is a trust activity. I completely disagree with that, but that was sort of one of the schools of thought or an activity that required people to talk is therefore a communication activity. What came first, the chicken or the egg, when it came to this stuff, I wonder, did when activities are created, I'm trying to think even when we're doing stuff, do we think of like a the, what what bucket would it sit under first? Or do we come up with an activity and then be like, oh, I think this is a communication activity. I wonder that when people are coming up with activities. Because I think that that's partly the problem. Like the creator of it is indicating this is a trust activity based on what's written in their book. Yesterday, I was saying I did some activities with some teachers and I did an activity and then one of the teachers said, so what what's the aim of that activity? What's the goal of that activity? And rather than come up with something, because at the time, truly, I, I wasn't really thinking, I was just playing an activity. I asked the group, like, you tell me, what do you think the goals of this activity would be? And they just came up with like loads of different things of why that activity would be helpful. And then I was like, okay, there you go. I didn't even have to answer the question because they were the ones who did it. And they were the ones who realized like, yeah, there's communication in there. And yes, there was problem solving to a degree and there was physicality and they created the buckets. Okay, let's play a game. Okay. And I'm going to tell you an activity that doesn't typically belong in that category. And then I want you to make it belong in that category. Gotcha. And you can reciprocate if you want, but. Challenge accepted. Make the whale watch a reflection activity. So what I would do is I would have everyone get to a point of balance. So we get to some form of balance on the whale watch. So we talk about balance in terms of our ability to manage the entire day at the start of the day we may have been chaotic but at this point right now we have demonstrated balance and we're all on board we're all on the same page and so at this stage i'd love to go around the group and share where you witnessed us have some form of when it came to us working as a team do i get a grade at the end of these i think like that seems i think that would be a solid b i mean i have no grades to offer you but i think but i think i'm hoping that people who might be hearing this are are like playing along because the correct answer isn't the one that you're going to hear from Phil or the one for me. The correct answer is your process of trying to answer it for yourself. Okay, I've got one for you. How do you make, and you mentioned it before, key punch. How would you transform key punch in a, into a trust activity? I think of, I would add some kind of partner component to it where there's a sense of trustworthiness where you would need to, 
either like two groups going at the same time and going for a collective score and you have a partner who's on the other team and you're trying to have a similar process. So there's something where you're trying to, it's like a, I would add a self others collective component to it. So I'm trying to collaborate with somebody else while also pushing myself. And there's an opportunity for me to not report accurately, but then feel rewarded if I do report something accurately, I think would be would be interesting. And like we're applying in this conversation, trust, problem solving, communication are all alive all around us all the time in these problem solving activities, whether we're emphasizing that or not. I think that's the myth. Whether I say that we're going to practice problem solving, like they're still going to do it. It's not like we unleash them into this world of trying being trustworthy. It happens anyway, whether whether we're saying it or not. You know, I think about the way that we at High Five and you in particular teach like rescue skills. That's one big problem solving activity. And I'm not suggesting that we just say, here's a bunch of stuff. Good luck. But there's a progression mm -hmm. where folks have to figure out how to put their skills together in a certain order for it to make sense. This, I think that supports the idea that there isn't a problem solving activity and then you're done. And then you move on to your communication activity and then you're done. It's that we're emphasizing different skills at different places. And yeah, just to wrap up this conversation, essentially what we're saying is the names have some significance in some places, but for the most part, you don't need to mention the names and that the bucket under which the activities lie doesn't necessarily have to be the way that you originally taught it. And as you get more experience, you might be able to find different ways to make other activities or certain activities fit different needs based on the goals. Good summary. That was a good summary. Very good summary. I would put that in the category of summary. Awesome. Thank you. And also, as of now, at the end of this, I still have yet to purchase an umbrella. Just keeping you constantly updated. I wonder how many episodes I can insert the update on umbrellas is. Because I'm definitely putting it in. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Vertical Playcast. And then what about, thanks for listening to High Fives Podcast. Can you do it? Okay, try. Thanks for giving. I think I'll pass the guy. <laughs>